Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Softball has begun. We are a week in. Week two is coming up. We are learning things on the fly. We're so glad you're back with us here on the podcast. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, have you caught up on your sleep after we got home in the wee hours on Sunday? I guess Monday, actually. Yeah, absolutely not. No, I'm no. very tired and uh, we just keep on rolling. We do. There's, there's basketball the next two days and then softball again. So it's that busy time of the year. Would not trade it. It's a lot of fun. It, we had a great time in yes. Tucson and we're going to talk more about that later on in the episode. Here's your trip around the bases. We'll start the plate and discuss everything that happened in Tucson, Tom. And so many things did indeed happen. Pitching was remarkable. The hitting was the best on opening weekend we've seen in a very long time. And that sets up a very fun weekend this weekend at the Rhodes House. It really does. I think it was one of those where you came out and you, you made a statement. You, you showed that all the, the preseason talk uh, was warranted, uh, but now you got to keep on going with it because it doesn't get any easier. Then we will advance to first and break down what was a mindlessly insane week in the SEC, surprisingly, like it shouldn't have been. Uh, yeah. But it was. Not sure what's happening with some, and that, that's what one of the things that made Alabama's performance so good was that not sure what's going on with some of these other places in the conference. Unclear yes. what is happening in the bayou. Then we will steal second with Jen Schroeder. She's back. Bring in the bubble. Yes. And yachts and whatnot. She, Jen Schroeder. And she's going to preview Clearwater with us. That'll be a lot of fun. I, I will, if, similar to last year, I'll be very excited to watch it happen yes. and not necessarily be there. Thursday morning, 10 a.m. It all starts. Here we I will go. be up and at them. Yes. Rounding third, we will go to the mailbag. So <laughs> we'll do that. We'll also look at some of the big non-SEC games in week two. And finally, we will head home. We will play the overreaction game. We've got off the wall. We, we have to explain streaming to a lot of people. Somewhere. And not not just like the concept of it. Like right. we're going beyond push the button. Now we have to explain rights, streaming yeah, rights. It's Unfortunately, I think most of the people that need this this explanation given to them are probably not listening to this podcast. So if you know someone, right. get ready. Also, Tom's Hungry is back. Yes. We did eat in Tucson. The, the food was consumed and we will discuss it. Yes. Wow. What a packed show. <laughs> Before we get started at the plate, make sure you follow the podcast at box underscore pod on the Twitter. Like, share, subscribe, leave a review and get ready for this weekend where you can see both of us at Rhodes. I will be in the TV booth with our TV crew, Kate Brooks, her SEC Network Plus debut, our sideline reporter, Kira Goldstein, wow. and then also Tom in the yeah. radio booth. And I'll be secluded away. <laughs> it's okay, I'll wave. You have a monitor now. I do. I'm very excited for that. Yes. Thank you, Scott Moyer. The Candrea Classic, a big success. 4-0, obviously. Dominant runs against Southern Utah, Oregon State, and New Mexico, but just the icing on the cake, the real meaty filet was the 11 nothing run rule victory over number nine, Arizona. The atmosphere was great. It was a, a packed ballpark. The crowd wanted to get into it, mm -hmm. and Team 26 did not allow it to happen. Really didn't. And, you know, the game started. You had a couple of innings where the pitchers were really dominant and uh, kind of going through the order the first time. You thought it was going to be one of those games. Are right, this going to come down? You know, you're going to have to just – try to find a hit and a run, maybe manufacture something. And then Lexi Kilfoyle came up in the third inning mm. and uh, changed the game. Busted the dam open with 
a ball that probably landed in the Hoover Dam, if that's even possible, it could directionally. Have. It was uh, it's one of the hardest hit balls I've seen in a long time. It's in the same conversation with the Bailey Hemphill home run from Auburn uh, last year. Like I said, it, it kind of it came out of nowhere. You weren't because Hannah Bowen looked good in the first couple of innings, uh, but then just that third inning, you, you saw, and this was a theme all weekend long, Everybody in the lineup was hitting the ball well, but the yeah. bottom of the order for the Crimson Tide really set the table more times than not. Okay, I'm going to move up a bullet point then. Power, it's not just a show on stars anymore. 10 home runs from seven different players, 20 extra base hits, 10 homers, three triples, seven doubles. Megan Bloodworth, six for 10, seven RBIs, three home runs, a triple. I mean, Alex Shipman had a long ball. Dallas Goodnight had a long ball. Bailey Dowling had a long ball. Prangy had two. Goodness. Yeah. I mean, just a really impressive performance. Even you look at, you know, someone who struggled somewhat at the plate was Kaylee Tao. She still had three RBIs for the weekend uh, and not doing it against scrubs either. You know, obviously Southern Utah is what they are, but you know, you did it against Arizona. You did it against Oregon State who had a, you know, all conference pitcher pitching for them. Uh, New Mexico is a scrappy team that's going to, I think it's going to do better than projected in the Mountain West. I agree with you on that. So I think considering the opponents as well, uh, really impressive performance at the plate for the Crimson Tide. I mean, you got to whip out the mustard and the rye bread. We had, right I had like bat. five home run calls in one inning. <laughs> the cra- what a weekend for radio. It was awesome. Yes. And the raucous crowd could not be heard. Arizona, no. we love the stadium. We do. Right. We got to get windows on that yeah. side of the press box. Every other side has windows that open. I right. don't know why we were not gifted that same opportunity. Not, not sure. But as per usual, though, when uh, stadiums and things are renovated, they don't really ask the people that are actually going to be using them mm. for, for those type of things. So, you know, if nothing else, you know, do like to do the World Series where the windows don't open, you know, give us give us the crowd right. like fit, fed through something. It looked loud. Right. Unclear if it was. <laughs> Pitching will go there. A 1-1-7 team ERA, Lexi Kilfoyle, five and two thirds, three hits, a walk, four strikeouts. Jayla Torrance threw a one hitter in her first start of the season with nine Ks. Montana Fouts, seven innings, no walks, 14 strikeouts. They give up the one solo home run, but again, it's Montana. I'm not concerned. Alex Salter, six and a third, five hits, three runs, all earned, no walks and six Ks. Steph and you were talking in the airport, and I agree. She looked fantastic the first two times through the order. It was when the third time around came up that she started to struggle a little bit. That'll come. I'm willing to give her a pass. It was her first career start. All in all, I think it was an A-plus pitching weekend. Oh, it really was. And that's that's the thing, you know, we talked about during the broadcast, too, that the headlines coming out of that weekend is going to be all the power in the offense. And But you look at it defense-wise, pitching-wise, just an outstanding performance there as well. You take a look, only one walk the entire weekend. Mm. One walk um, and one error. Right. No, that's it's incredible. Outstanding. Giving up only four earned runs the entire weekend. And three of those came in the final two innings uh, when the game was was put away. Right against New Mexico. So I, I think you, you can take so much uh, positives from this one. There's still a lot you can definitely work on. You don't want to be peaking in the first weekend of February. I don't think this was the peak for Alabama in any stretch, uh, but it was a heck of a, a jumping off point. You look at the weekend stats, four of the first five are newcomers, either freshmen or transfers. Bloodworth, we already touched on that. We're going to talk more about Megan Bloodworth and the hmm. Twitter controversy from this week about awards and whatnot. There may be a word brought oh, out. already? Yes. Oh, no. Yes. Buckle up, people. An early F-bomb is coming. 
Prangy was 583. Dallas Goodnight, to me, was the most impressive player I saw this weekend. Not statistically, because obviously she didn't have the best stats, but all the tools that we saw, the power, I didn't know that she had that consistently, that kind of power where she could just hit bombs and doubles. You know, I knew that that was a part of her game, but I thought we would see more small ball and bunting if the power is as good as what we've seen from the small ball and bunting, this could be a first team all SEC player for four years. Absolutely. That's, you know, that's why I'm the president of the Dallas Goodnight fan club. I, but I did not see that power coming either, but I, I think that kind of answered the question of why she was in the two hole. Cause we, you know, we were talking about this on the uh, season premiere. We thought for sure Kaylee Tao was going to be hitting uh, number two in the lineup. Uh, and then we got the first lineup and saw Dallas Goodnight there. That was somewhat surprising, but then, uh, she was able to, you know, drive in runs, had the little had power, but also has that speed and, and other abilities as well. Um, so I, you know, true five tool player is Alice Goodnight, and, and she uh, really showed out here in her first weekend. Allie Shipman, as good as advertised. Yes, very excited for her to continue to uh, to grow here at Alabama. Jenna Johnson of a leadoff spot. We predicted that correctly last week on the show. We got one right. We got one right, and it works. She hit five hundred. Extra base hits, stolen bases. The only time she was caught stealing was trying to go home on double steals. Right. A plus. Uh, This lineup really sets up nicely to have these type of weekends when you're getting the type of performance you get from and production from all parts of the lineup. You're not, you know, you're having a weekend. We're talking about how great the offense was and the three and five hitters were kind of eh. Very (laughs) mad weekends from Bailey Dowling and Kaylee Tao. Tao hit 200, two of 10 with three RBIs, a 385 OBP, which, you know, that's going to just go up. And Bailey Dowling, two for nine, a home run, three RBIs, a 333 OBP. I actually thought two of the best at-bats of the weekend were Bailey Dowling walks yeah. that she drew. But, I mean, if those are the players that are struggling, I'm, I'm not too concerned. I know Bailey Dowling's going to figure it out. And how do you not trust a three-time All-American in Kaylee Tao? Exactly. So, and we even saw Tao – you know, starting to draw those walks. And a lot of those walks came in the last game or game and a half or so. Yeah, she started 0 for 6 with four strikeouts, finished with three walks and four strikeouts. So. Right. So she wasn't, you know, she didn't get frustrated. She didn't start pressing uh, when the hits weren't coming early on. So that I think that was, you can definitely take that as a positive for her uh, that she was, you know, started working counts and well, if I'm not getting the hits right now, let me help in other ways and getting on base and letting that bottom of the order drive her in. Is this the shortest recap of a weekend we've ever had? Do you, what else do we have to say? Things went pretty perfectly. <laughs> Things went pretty dang well. There's really not a whole, whole lot of time. I mean, you, you take a look at it. If you're looking for maybe some you know nitpicking criticisms of maybe you wanted to see some of the, the younger players get a couple more at-bats, but everyone got at least one. Right. Um, and part of that was, you know, the games were ending quickly because they were being run rules. Right. So, so, I mean, that's just how that goes sometimes. Okay, so now we turn the page to this weekend, the Bama Bash, brought to you by Easton. Friday, Evansville at 1.30, Virginia Tech at 4. Uh, we're going to touch on that in a second. Virginia Tech again on Saturday at 1.30 p.m., all-time central, by the way. Middle Tennessee at 4 on Saturday, and then the Blue Raiders again at 1.30 on Sunday. Obviously, Tom, a lot of the attention of the country is going to go to Clearwater this weekend, but outside of that event, the best games in college softball are happening here in Tuscaloosa Friday at four and Saturday afternoon at one with Alabama, Virginia tech, a top 10 matchup, a great pitching duel, no matter who starts, right. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, and that was, 
one of the surprises of last weekend was seeing Lexi Kilfoyle getting the start against Arizona uh, and then Montana going against Oregon State. Uh, but this is an opportunity I think you'll see one of them will pitch the first game and one will pitch the second one against Virginia Tech. Uh, maybe, you know, Patrick Murphy mentioned that uh, Montana still, uh, they're bringing her back from the leg injury that she had during the, the Team USA tryout. So may only see Montana once again this weekend, uh, but it's going to be against one. It's going to be one of those games against Virginia Tech. So the pitching plan, here's what I've got mentally. Evansville, Jayla Torrance, Virginia Tech part one. I think you go Lexi Kilfoyle. Virginia Tech part two, Montana Fouts. Middle Tennessee part one, Alex Salter. Sunday against Middle Tennessee, I think you could start Torrance again or really whoever you want. I would probably go Torrance or maybe Kilfoyle because she wouldn't have pitched since Friday. But either way, with the way this pitching staff is going, a lot of options that you feel good about. I like that. I like going Kilfoyle against the first one against second and Kilfoyle again on Sunday. And that also gives uh, Lexi a chance to bat in two games. Yes. And, you know, there's still the, the situation where she could be the DP when she's not pitching, but with the only time she got at bats was the game she pitched against Arizona. We'd love to see her get some more consistent chances throughout the weekend. Yeah. And that went well, one for two with the uh, home run to end all home runs and also a walk, which was something that we saw her do well. And, you know, I was, putting together the board today might not be realized by a lot of fans, but Lexi Kilfoyle last year at the plate at home against ranked teams hit 400. Wow. So she was at her best at the plate against the best competition. Maybe something to keep an eye on going into this weekend. Absolutely. Any lineup changes at all? I mean, I, I think the key debate here would be, do you move up Megan Bloodworth and what do you do with Kaylee Tao? I think that her getting the two hits and the two walks to close out the weekend makes you still feel confident in the three spot. If not move her down to seven and maybe just bump everybody up one. Yeah, I, you could, I could see that happening, but I, I think for the most part, you just keep it as is because I, I don't want to put, wouldn't want to put too much pressure on Bloodworth moving her up too much in the lineup. Right. You know, one of the reasons why she's being successful might be because she's at the bottom of the order. Uh, so, you know, don't give, don't put too much pressure on the freshman at this point. Uh, but just enjoy the production you're getting at the bottom. Yeah, I have no qualms, nothing. I mean, I think that with five games, I do want to see a even split with Door and Kilfoyle batting in the DP spot, maybe three for Door, two for Kilfoyle, or three for Kilfoyle, two for Door. Order-wise, I, I think Dallas makes so much sense now that we've seen what we've seen in the two spot. Right. Jenna leading off. I like the Dowling-Shipman 4-5 combo. I have no issues. I think maybe the one thing you're still trying to figure out is right field. Savannah Woodard was 0 for 4 on the weekend. Cat Grill was 1 for 3 in the final game. Probably going to see a split between those two as well this weekend. Right. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's still a chance to get a start maybe for for a Hevlin or, or Lord at some point in the infield. But, I mean, you're at this, you're really, you know, splitting hairs trying to find issues at this point now, you know, just because you had such a great weekend. Yes, last weekend, you know, if you have, you know, a couple of games early on where you're struggling, you could definitely make some changes at that point. But uh, I just think you keep rolling what you got. I'm in agreement. Wow. What a uh, what a start at the plate, Tom, both for the team and for us on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, what, what can you – there's not lots to debate when, no. when, when things go that well on the opening weekend. You know, this is not a team that's going to be resting on those laurels. I know that much. There's just 
you know, getting an opportunity to travel with the team this year, you know, being back in the bubble when we were instead of being bubble adjacent like we were last year can really kind of get, get a sense of what, what the team is and, and yeah. their mindset. And I think, you know, they were very excited and very happy about what happened last weekend. Uh, but I, I did not notice any like, Oh, satisfaction. Oh, okay. Well, this is, this, this will be, this is good. We're done. I don't, there's none of that. I, the answer to that question came in my opinion on Sunday with how Alabama started against right. New Mexico. If there had been any kind of hangover at all, we would have seen it. We did not see it. Four runs in the first inning, and yeah. here we go. So, yeah. yeah. Now, I will say this. As good as the offense looked, I will be shocked if we have anything high scoring in either of the Virginia Tech games. Keely Rochard is a fantastic pitcher, probably one of the top five in the country. Limley, the freshman, one of the best youngsters out there. We're going to talk to Jen Schroeder in a bit. One of my questions, jokingly, is how many runs are going to be scored in those two games. But in all seriousness, it's probably going to be a very low total. If Alabama comes out and does against Virginia Tech what they did against Arizona, then we can start really, really having some serious conversations about what this team can do. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, and it's going to, I think that's going to be good for Alabama too. You know, you're, you're going to have some frustrating games. You're going to have games where you're going to have to, to scratch and claw and uh, great to do it early on. Great to do it here in Tuscaloosa. Yes. It's going to be a great atmosphere. It was a fun weekend for Alabama. Things went well, but yes. Tom, they didn't really for like anyone else in the SEC except maybe Florida. Yeah, it, it was a it was a weird weekend for the SEC. There, there's some highly uh, touted teams that we were talking about uh, last weekend that certainly struggled. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that when we advance to first. Tom, who are we? So many options. Are we Megan Bloodworth? Yeah, I mean, we hit a grand slam in your first at bat. You, you get to be going to first. Yes. Yeah, so congratulations. <laughs> we're, we're just hitting a single, but we right. are Megan Bloodworth, putting it in play and advancing to first. And we come back week one and review what happened. What is going on at LSU? We'll talk about it all when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Greg Robertson, Tom Canterbury here. We're advancing to first. And as usual, Tom, talking about the SEC where it just means more, and in this case, it just means half of the upsets, eight upsets on our tracker in opening weekend, four of them happened to SEC teams, which was surprising. Yeah, uh, two of the more surprising upsets that I can remember in a long time, especially in week number one, Missouri losing to Connecticut and then LSU losing to Central Arkansas, uh, just two inexcusable losses. Yeah, let's start with LSU. What happened? Yeah, I mean, where where to go? Four and two, the Tigers are. They lost to Illinois five, two and eight innings. And like you said, Central Arkansas, three, two, a game where they were down. They tied it. And then Central Arkansas came back and won. Team batting average, 252. Sierra Briggs hit 421, which is about what you'd expect. Like I said last week, sliding into the Elite Andrews role. Taylor Pleasant's two for 18. 111 average, two RBIs. Yeah, that's that's got to be better. That, that's for sure. Yeah, I think it definitely comes down to the hitting because, you know, that they, they didn't give up. They gave up five runs against Illinois in the loss, but uh, three of those came in the in the eighth inning. And then, but you look at even the games that they won against Illinois and Central Arkansas, they didn't score many runs. Their best game was against South Alabama, an 8-1 win. Otherwise, right. it was struggle bus city. Yeah, so just – not not sure why, but they had just zero offense this weekend, and that was when when we talked about them, we previewed them last week. I, I felt as though the offense might have been more secure than the pitching was, and they just didn't show up this weekend. And 
Yeah, but that being said, you know, that can sometimes happen if you're on the road or at a neutral site. Still no excuse for that to happen in at home in, in your opening weekend. Right. It was perplexing. Allie Kilpone in a one six eight ERA in sixteen and two thirds innings. She was two and one on the weekend. They had to go to her a lot over these six games. I mean, if you've got if you're the pitcher of record in three of the six games and you've got a staff that is as deep as LSU's is, that is a bit of a problem. Mm-hmm. Wickersham statistically was a little bit better than she was last year since Sari pitched some as well. But and all the, in all, this is not what I saw coming. No, and the defense was an issue because, because Wickersham took the loss against Central Arkansas but did not give up an earned run. Right. It might not have been in the number of errors, but in the timeliness of the errors. And so you go four and two, and here's what's next. Mm. They go to Clearwater. Good luck. Oklahoma State, number seven in the country on Friday. Washington, number five in the country on Friday. That is a Friday doubleheader for LSU against two top seven teams. Good gracious. Saturday, they've got Notre Dame. Saturday night, they have Michigan, number 16 in the country. I mean, you know, Michigan couldn't hit in opening weekend, but that's not their strength. Their strength is pitching. They've got the other best one-two punch in the country besides Alabama. And with this LSU offense, I'm not sure I could see the Tigers putting up more than maybe two runs if they get lucky. I mean, looking at their at this schedule with Oklahoma State, Washington, first day, Notre Dame, Michigan, second day, and then Texas Tech to wrap it up. I mean, they could be looking at two and three, staring them right in the face. I, I think if you go three and two, it's a win. Right. Like you are ecstatic. Yeah. If you can somehow get one of the win games on Friday, then I think you're you're okay. We we had just a bad weekend, you know. We're we're on the come up, but it certainly looks as though they'll be zero and two after the first day and after the struggles of week one. Uh, does everything pile on each other, or does, does that have them? We're all going to get in the foxhole together. We'll see. I mean, we again we try not to overreact after week one, but this is probably the most perplexing start to a season I've seen from a team not named Alabama in 2020, honestly. Right. I yeah. mean, that that will still eclipse it, but you were losing to a good North Carolina team and their ace and a Florida State team that we thought was going to make a run to the World Series. This is LSU losing to a middling Big Ten team who could be better than we expect, but I don't think anyone's predicting Illinois to host Supers or Regionals right now. Right. And Central Arkansas, who might win the Southland, but still, that's a Southland team playing in Baton Rouge. They should not win that game. No, they're – no, no excuse for it. So that's, you know, even even the Alabama 2020 start, that was on the road. Right. Just a, a really surprising start for LSU. And you can't win or lose the World Series you know, on week one. Uh, but you've certainly kind of the, the eyes of a lot of people are going to be on you for reasons you don't like. Florida, the other team besides Alabama that looked good this weekend, Lexi Delbury, your SEC freshman of the week, which we will touch on in just a bit. One hit shutout versus Michigan in a 4 nothing win. All the runs came on a Cheyenne Lindsay grand slam. Team ERA of a crisp .25. Some uh, successful experiments in the pitching lab. Yes. <laughs> Finally, the right combination. <laughs> All the colors are correct. Mm-hmm. Charlotte Eccles, a surprising one for 16 to start the year. That one does shock me. I mean, and that's the thing, you know, you're, you're playing a sport, you know, a sport of failure. So sometimes you're going to have those weekends where, where that happens. And she was facing some pretty good pitching with the Michigan uh, opponents, especially. So I wouldn't be too concerned overall, uh, but that's, that's something you're going to definitely look, look at maybe this week and see if there's some improvement there. Team batting average 306. Hannah Adams did her thing. She hit 500. Kendra Falby, the freshman down at the bottom of the order, hit 545. 
you know, the Florida offense this year, I, I don't think is one that will blow the doors off you, but they've got enough talented people to get the timely hit. So they're going to be right there. Mixed results for other contenders. Let's start with Arkansas three and two. They beat Rutgers four nothing. They had to have a miraculous comeback to beat Memphis four three. A run roll loss to Washington, a solid beatdown of Long Beach State, 10-0, and then another loss to the Huskies, 10-5. Team batting average, 254. That was a shock considering everything Courtney Diefel had said coming into the year. Daniel Gibson did hit 533. Team ERA of 390 with Mary Half at 315 in 13 and a third innings pitch. She went 2-1. KB Sides and Hannah McEwen at the top of the order both struggled. They were both right around 150 batting average wise, you know, perhaps it's all the new pieces, you know, so many new pieces. Shanice Dels got some big time innings as the number two for Arkansas, but all in all, I expected more offense from the hogs, especially against the weaker opponents. I mean, not scoring until the seventh inning against Memphis is a damning statement. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was going to say. It's like even maybe more, more important than the two losses to Washington was how much they struggled in the wins against Rutgers of Memphis. You know, Rutgers, I think they had four runs on three hits. Right, yeah, there was, there was one error that was so costly for Rutgers. You take that out, it might be a one nothing, 2 nothing game. Right, and, the, and in Memphis as well. And this is, you know, Memphis we saw in Tuscaloosa last year, unless they have made a just a miraculous jump in, in talent, uh, they should not have been able to stay on the field with Arkansas. And, and for that uh, to be a, a come from behind, you know, final inning victory, that's not a great sign for the Hogs. Yeah. Missouri starts three and two, a win over Penn State in walk-off fashion, two one in eight, but so, lost to UConn six two. That was that was the first day. Right. That's a very similar to the Rutgers and Memphis games against Arkansas. Penn State, you know, we've seen them recently, and and they're uh, they're, you know, if they get to the middle of the pack in the in the Big Ten, it'll be a huge jump. So uh, that's that that was a surprising result to say the least. Good win against Wisconsin, 8-1. They did lose to Virginia Tech, 4-3, and they had to hold on against Liberty, 6-5. Team batting average, 277, which is actually higher than I would have thought if you had shown me all these scores. Team ERA, 247. I think if you can hover around that all year long, you have a chance to win this league. Jordan Weber seems to be the ace. She had a 111 ERA, 2-0 record. She pitched 12 and two-thirds, gave up just three hits. The walks, a little alarming. Eight walks to 14 strikeouts, but, you know, I think if you're trying out for an ace, Jordan Weber had the most successful weekend yeah. for the Tigers. Yeah, and I would not be as concerned about Missouri as I would be Arkansas, considering, you know, that Penn State-UConn, that, that was the same, that was one day. Right. Uh, you know, that was a good win against Wisconsin, you know, a 4-3 loss to Virginia Tech, and then Liberty was, you know, they, they had a rough weekend, so they're not going to be anymore, but they were a top 25 team. So uh, I think Missouri kind of, you know, you could chalk that up to one bad day more so than some of these others. Tennessee, 4-0, but, I mean, is it possible to be unimpressed with 4-0? Because it wasn't it wasn't great. I mean, 4-0 win over UNCG. Maryland, they beat 2-1. Yeah. FIU, 4-3 win. They had to come back late. And then the last game, they beat FIU 7-0. Ashley Rogers threw in three games and threw 13 innings against that slate. It's alarming. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's what you were looking. You were looking for... Ashley Rogers not to have to pitch that much uh, in in the midweek type games and you know the you know the, uh, Maryland or FIU even though it was at FIU basically kind of kind of fits along in those you know midweek type of game mode and they had to bring her in yeah Riley White just two and a third Aaron Edmondson eleven and a third 
Team batting average 240. You have two players above 301 batting average wise. Amanda Ayala was one for 11. Ashley Morgan was two for 11. And so I honestly, I would say Ash just week one, they'll figure it out. But then look at this weekend, Tom, mm. in Clearwater. Notre Dame is the easiest game. That is a team receiving votes. They will play on Thursday, Tennessee and Notre Dame. Thursday after that, Tennessee plays Florida State. Friday, they've got Washington and Clemson. And then Saturday, a UCF team that beat Georgia. Yee. It's not the slate to try and figure things out. Ashley Rogers might be getting a lot of work time. Yeah, and uh, one of the great things about going to Clearwater is you get all these, these great games and great matchups. But then one of the tough things about going to Clearwater is you get all these great games and great matchups yes. when, if you're struggling. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll be able, we'll see, but if, if they can get out of there at three and two, I think that's, I think they'll, they'll have probably done pretty well overall. Beat Notre Dame, beat UCF, steal one against Florida State, Washington, Clemson. I think you might even be able to expect beating Clemson if they don't throw Kegel. Right. So we'll yeah. see again, it just depends on matchups with pitching and pitching depth and who knows. Two teams start 5-0, and crushing competition. That was not great. Auburn and Texas A&M, both undefeated. Auburn gets four run rules. Pitching went well. Shelby Lowe, your co-SEC pitcher of the week. 3-0, 13 innings, no walks, 23 strikeouts. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah Maddie right, Penta, 2-0, yeah. 14 innings, seven hits, three runs, two earned, three walks, 27 strikeouts. Team batting average, 424. It, Eight, yeah, <laughs> regardless of competition, I think it was a good performance. Yeah. Last year in this – against this type of competition they would not have hit that well so maybe maybe they have found something offensively uh, that's going to be able to help give Shelby Lowe that that help that she's going to need yes you know she can only do so much (laughs) someone's got to score for her we are going to find out if Auburn is for real they've got Texas they've got UCLA all right see what happens yeah good luck low (laughs) penta penta low one of those two Texas A&M cruising Haley Lee, player of the week. We're going to talk more about her stats individually, but trust me, she deserved it. Yeah. One, two, five, team ERA. Did we learn anything, Tom, about these two teams? I don't think so. Not really. No. They did what we expected. I think Auburn run ruling like everybody was surprising, but right. overall, I'm not shocked. We'll see. Georgia is exactly who we thought they were. Five and one start. They lost to UCF. They beat Minnesota twice, two scrappy wins. Team ERA at 339. Madison Kerpix might be the ace, 0.93 ERA in 15 innings. Britton Rogers, probably not, 6.36 ERA in 11 innings. But, I mean, Georgia's going to be carried by that offense, 3.23 team batting average. Actually, that's lower than I thought it would be based on the results. But Georgia's not going to win any games this year where they don't score five runs or more. That's exactly what we thought. Yeah, pretty much. And we watched a lot of that game, the UCF, uh, the Georgia-UCF game that uh, the Knights won on a walk-off homer. It was a really good competitive game. Georgia's going to give you a lot of those. They're going to be exciting to watch because they're going to score a lot of runs, but they're going to give up a lot of runs too. Look, Ole Miss starts four and two. You got a winning record. That's, you know, good job. Got that, yeah. One hit loss to Oregon. They trailed in two games pretty early. Had to come back late against Colorado State and Fullerton. A 5-2 loss to San Diego for the Rebels and a 1-0 win over Cal, who's not that good. They're getting better, but still, you should score more than one. The loss to San Diego, uh, I think, is troubling for Ole Miss. Um, not being able to get much offensive at all, offense at all against Oregon because they're going to have to rely on the offense. Yeah. So it didn't really travel out west. We'll see if, if they're able to improve on that when they come back home. But um, tough weekend overall. Yeah. Ole Miss got a good performance from Savannah Diedrich, you know, 0.54 ERA, four appearances, 
in the six games, but no starts, which is interesting. She's probably going to start this weekend. Team batting average 265. That's way better than what Mississippi State had. Mm. The Bulldogs go one and three. They beat LMU. Then got run ruled by OU, got run ruled by UCLA, and then lost to LMU the second time they played. 5-3. Mississippi State's team batting average 233. We will excuse the losses to Oklahoma and UCLA to not be able to come back and win a very winnable game, a game that you need against Loyola Marymount is disappointing and has the sirens going, in my opinion. Yeah, that, that, it's a struggle. Yeah, because you, when you're looking at that, you know, two and two was probably the, the was the that's best realistic. You, yeah, it was the best you were going to do, but you've got to beat Loyola Marymount those, those two games. Uh, you, if you have the built-in losses, Oklahoma and UCLA, you got to get the other ones that you that you have. You know, to not play a clean game, to have all the errors that they had. Uh, not being able to hit, definitely a struggling first weekend for Mississippi State. I mean, they did nothing well. Mm. 233 team batting average, team ERA of 452, eight errors as first in the conference, or I guess should say last in the conference. Right, yeah. that, that's all three facets of the game <laughs> not going well. An over, an over three on that one. Oh boy, Mississippi State. Before we move on and Talk about what's coming up in week two. Kentucky and South Carolina, do you feel like you learned anything about those teams? I mean, Kentucky. Shock, shockingly, no. no. I know that shocked you, but don't know what either team has. South Carolina might be what we thought they were. Team ERA, 4.85. They did start 3-1. and one. Team batting average was great. Didn't think the offense would pop off like they did. But I don't know. I mean, I still think South Carolina is a very average team. Yeah. Kelsey O, an inning and two-thirds, one hit, five runs, all earned, five walks and no strikeouts. It's a real shame. She just hadn't been the same since her freshman year with all the injuries and mm. COVID pauses and everything else. Yeah. It's really hard to find when there's so much just unknown because of the injuries and transfers and trying to figure out who's actually on the team, trying to find that ace and they have not been able to find one. Speaking of aces, Kentucky, this is going to be a new segment called who is pitching <laughs> in all caps. Who is pitching? What? Seven people threw for Kentucky in five games. How? And played probably three other positions during the game. What? Kentucky wins four games. Wisconsin, Michigan State, Liberty, Iowa. Lose to Virginia Tech, 6-1. No shame in that. Q Richard, really good. Sure. Seven arms. Miranda Stoddard leads in innings pitched with 12 and two-thirds. But seven people pitched. Who is pitching? That will be the question all year long for Kentucky. For the fighting enigmas, we don't know. Unclear. Team batting average 331, Kayla Kowalik still doing her thing, hitting 438, which is like a bad weekend for Kayla Kowalik. Right. Well, I say, even with all these question marks, four and one. Still got some wins. Got some wins. That's all you can do. Yep. Big SEC games in week two. Thursday, it all starts in Clearwater with Notre Dame, Tennessee. Tennessee later plays Florida State that day, which Tall State and Arkansas are playing. You know, they're, everything is on this list, Tom. So let's pick one each day that you're going to have up. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, I mean, I want to see what Auburn is. I want to see if, you know, against better competition. So that first matchup on Thursday, taking on Texas Tech could be very mm-hmm. big. I'm with you. I think Wichita State, Arkansas has some intrigue. Mm-hmm. Friday, Duke at Florida. Duke just had like a great weekend in Tempe. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they weren't perfect, but pulled off some upsets. They beat Oklahoma State. Peyton St. George was like untouchable against the Cowgirls. Florida looked great as well. This is in Gainesville. Are the Dukies ready to roll in and shock the Gators? They only play once this weekend. 
I, I wouldn't say it's not out of the realm of possibilities. I would pick it. I, I, I would pick Florida to win the game, uh, but it should be a heck of a matchup there. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's going on in Clearwater with LSU and Oklahoma State. Oh, boy. The two, two teams that really struggled in week number one had so many issues. Who figures it out first? Saturday, Central Arkansas at Mississippi State. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Ole Miss at Troy. Yeah, they're playing a couple times this weekend. Leanna Johnson, really good pitcher for the Trojans. But I, I think my eyes go straight to Kentucky at Arizona. Yeah. Is Arizona able to bounce back after getting pummeled at home against a top 10 team? And for Kentucky, who is pitching? Because this is a game you want to have. Yeah. I mean, you look at what happened. Arizona, you know, the Sunday, right after Alabama played New Mexico, Arizona played New Mexico and only won one nothing. So, you know, they're going to have to play better than, than they played their final two games. They destroyed Southern Utah, but most people are going to destroy Southern Utah. Um, what are you going to do against some of these tougher teams? I think it's a great chance for Kentucky to kind of kind of make their statement. Sunday, Tom, Illinois at Arkansas. Illinois just beat LSU in Baton Rouge. Imagine the resume builder they will have two weeks into the year if they can also knock off the hogs they also play them friday but if you can get one of those that's huge and if you're arkansas <laughs> get right this yeah. is a, this is a chance against good teams but not great teams of wichita state and illinois for you to get right yeah that's what you that's what you got to do and again you know it's not just in the sec they're gonna have the target on their back from everybody right you know everybody saw what they did last year around the money now it is time for gray's fgcl corner it's back here are the rules. You have to have played in the FGCL last summer. So if you just played in 2020, thank you for your contributions. You're off the list. I've got seven nominees. Tom will pick two. Mm -hmm. And then I will pick a winner based on Tom's two. It's amazing because after Thursday when we were dragging, didn't look good. But things, things really stepped up. I had 13 people on the short list. <laughs> wow. 13. But only seven were officially nominated. Bailey Richardson from Georgia State, 8 of 18, 7 RBIs, a home run, a triple, a double. That'll come up big. A walk, two strikeouts, three runs scored. Hit for the cycle. Wow. Against Indiana State in the season opener. Peyton Darnell, USC Upstate, 9 of 16, 13 RBIs in five games. Four home runs, a double, a strikeout, four runs scored. Meryl Streep is back. Mac Leonard, 7 of 10. Five RBIs, a home run, a triple, two walks, a strikeout, three runs scored. Mac Leonard hitting cleanup at Florida State. Wow. At a girl. Yeah. Devin Flaherty, another null. There were a lot of Florida State people on the short list. Devin Flaherty was six of nine, two RBIs, two doubles, a walk, six runs scored. Pretty consistent. Good, good. Mm -hmm. Blake Nelliman, Georgia Tech, 12 innings, two hits, one run. It was earned, five walks, and 19 strikeouts. And Kenna Wilkie, Houston. 13 and a third innings pitched, five hits, one run. It was earned, two walks and 13 strikeouts. She went 2-0 with a save. Also, her first time back in college since the 2020 season because she did not play last year as she was transferring from Northwestern to a good start to her Houston career. Houston plays OU this weekend. We'll see if she can keep it up. And finally, Haley Lee, the Glenn Close from Texas A&M, the year SEC Player of the Week, 9 for 11 Eight RBIs, a home run, a double, seven walks, five runs scored. That's like a 900 on base percentage. Right. That, that That's ridiculous. stupid. Yes. Wow. As Texas A&M played everyone in the state of Texas, not named Texas or Texas A&M. Of course. Week. Wow. All right. So I got to pick two from those because I feel 
like I'm leaving some really good performances off the list, so only picking two. It doesn't happen very often ever in softball. So if someone hits for the cycle, they're getting on the list. So I'm going to go Bailey Richardson. And if someone wins the SEC Player of the Week, they're getting on the list. I'm going to go Haley Lee. Is it possible for you to win SEC Player of the Week but not win FGCL Player of the Week? I'm not, I'm not sure if it should be. But I'm going to make it possible. Wow. Look, here's the thing. Haley Lee is going to win this multiple times this year. Sure. Bailey Richardson is not going to hit for the cycle every weekend. Bailey Richardson from Georgia State is our FGCL Player of the Week. Very nice. Congrats. Yeah. Haley, yeah. do better than 9 for 11. <laughs> yeah. Bailey, your plaque is in the mail. Wow, I can't believe. Look at all the people we left off. What a ridiculous list. This is going to be so hard all year. <laughs> Max Leonard's like, I went 7 for 10. <laughs> Devin Flaherty. My gosh. <laughs> like, basically, if you were below 500, right. you weren't even in consideration. Peyton Darnell's like, I hit four home runs. Four. <laughs> what do you want? 13 RBIs in five games. <laughs> Did not even make, was it a finalist? Nary a whisper. <laughs> God, what a league. <laughs> if you want to be part of it, just let us know. We'll get you on a team. Oh, boy. Okay, we've advanced the first time. Do you see, do you see that over there? It's It's... It's the sign. It's coming. Yes. And Patrick Murphy went through all the signs. I still don't know what they are, but. I was saying they're like, okay. Yeah. 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 No. 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 Don't have it. No idea. (laughs) No idea. I know one and it's, there is no sign. (laughs) That's the only one I retain. I got that one. Well, it's time to steal second here on the Out of the Box podcast. When we come back, it's Jim Schroeder. She's back. Got her out of the car with Richard Garcia and on the Zoom with Gray and Tom. That's next here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It is time to steal second with somebody who didn't let very many people do that in her playing career at UCLA. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, back with our friend, from ESPN, from the Seven Innings podcast. I believe their premiere recorded today, dropping maybe tomorrow. A part of big old brewing bubble, Jen Schroeder is back. Jen, how are you? I'm good. I like that you said I didn't let a lot of people steal instead of saying how many bases I stole, which is probably zero personally. So <laughs> we I like to, to steal spin my it bases to your with you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's basically what a JDH said last week. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, before we dive into all the softball stuff, interesting uh, weekend in LA, Jen, the Rams won the Super Bowl. Do people out there care? I mean, I know, I know you're excited. Tara Henry, obviously very excited. Tara Henry, she was doing all sorts of dances after watching them win. I actually, guys, wanted the Bengals to win. So I was not rooting for the Rams, but I wasn't not not rooting for them. It was just kind of one of those things where I thought it'd be cool for Joe Burrow to win. So I kind of became a Bengals fan while watching them. And uh, there were five former Bruins on the coaching and scout staff. So like Brian Callahan, who's the offensive coordinator for the ba- the coordinator for the Bengals, he was president of all the athletes at UCLA. And then I was president after him. So he mentored me. And so I kind of had this like UCLA thing for the Bengals and the Bengals worked out all week at UCLA they use that as their home so but go Rams <laughs> it, it was funny we were watching the the final quarter basically in the airport in Dallas uh on my phone because everything closed at Dallas Fort Worth for some reason uh but uh, there was a, a girl 
in the next table that was asking what the score was. And she was apparently going to LA and she was wanting the Bengals to win because it would help with traffic in LA. And I was like, <laughs> I don't think it's going to matter. I don't think it would matter no. very much. It's probably going to be pretty busy regardless. Either way, people are partying. Win or lose, they're partying. Either way, they're on the freeways. But it is cool for the city, I guess. I don't know. I read a stat today on Twitter, so who knows the accuracy. But apparently in L.A., it wasn't even the top 10 most watched game on TV that day. Like, it did not rate in the top 10. So that's how little L.A. cared about the Super Bowl. (laughs) Gosh, Cincinnati would have burned to the ground. So maybe 100%. doing him a favor. Now out there, out West, Jen, there was another big game that had a big draw that probably more people would have watched around the LA area if it were on TV. That was UCLA OU. You were there with Amanda Scarborough and Tara. We were tracking it. We were on the air during uh, Alabama, Arizona during that game. But your main takeaways from a battle between one and three on opening weekend. I want to say, first and foremost, this is something you guys get in Tuscaloosa a lot, but we don't necessarily get in L.A., Orange County, was the demand for that game. So I'm going to try and use this reference as uh, I've been at Rhodes, at the Rhodes House, right? So imagine the line going out of Rhodes House all the way down past your guys' clubhouse. I don't know the street. You know, you have to cross the street to go to the parking lot. Right. Imagine the line curving around almost to the back of the outfield. That's how long the line was to get into this place for people waiting for tickets. So they sold out thousands of people inside and those people were waiting in line. It went all the way down past the civic center to a main street waiting to potentially be let in for day of tickets. So first and foremost, takeaway is that softball is growing and booming, and you're right, if that game would have been on, let's say ESPN, or just a network that was more easily watchable on a television, uh, I I think it would have done really well. My main takeaways from the game, as far as what happened on the field, are that Jordy Ball is the real deal, guys. She was amazing. And I don't use that word to describe softball players very often, the way she was able to keep UCLA offense off balance, the amount of swings and misses that she induced, it wasn't called strikes. She was fooling the batters and they were unable to make adjustments, specifically our left-handed hitters. They just struggled tremendously against her. Um, From UCLA's point of view, if you watched, if you heard about the game, there were so many defensive errors. We started Holly Acevedo. Lauren Shaw came in. I have to say she impressed me for some middle relief work. She got out of a jam in the, I believe it was the second. It felt like about the sixth, but I think it was only the second. And then Megan Faremo entered in the bottom of the third, I think it was, which again, felt like the fifth or the sixth. But when you looked at the scoreboard, you're like, oh my goodness, it's only the third inning. Um, Which to me is an interesting strategy. If you're going to throw Megan at all and show her, why doesn't she start that game? I'm not the coach. I, I, I'm not writing the strategy here, but it's interesting, right guys? Do you agree? Yeah, like, no, you're gonna I, show said her? The, I said the same thing on the air, mm-hmm. or I think it was during commercial. I said, wow, they brought in for Amo. That doesn't make sense because right. I, I, you know, if you're going to do it starter, I mean, go for it. Otherwise right. all you're doing is giving OU tape. That, that's kind of what I thought too. And, and obviously there's a ton of tape out on Megan, but she looks great. I know I've texted you about this. She looks 
phenomenal as far as her fitness. She looks like a specimen. She is a big Samoan girl, a big build, right? I'm six foot tall. She is my height at least, but she is chiseled. Both of her parents were collegiate athletes. All of her brothers are going to be collegiate athletes. Like she is a, an absolute specimen. So, okay. Yeah. Has she, has she worked on things in the off season for sure? Are you giving them new tape? Most definitely. But I just think the difference in a mentality as a pitcher or player, if you're starting the game rather than coming in and relief, and she was throwing in the bullpen, oh gosh, a good 40 minutes before entering that game and just kind of sitting out there, not a part of the team because the bullpens are, are removed. They're further down the line and you're, they're not connected to the dugouts at all at Bill Barber. So it's just an interesting strategy. But I think the things that stuck out to me most from a UCLA perspective is that Beyond Megan, who's going to step up in the circle? Offensively, are we going to be able to make adjustments? We, we have to make in-game adjustments because it felt like Montana Fouts 2020, or was that 2021 against the Bruins, right? It felt that way. Like, how are they continuing to miss the ball? That's how, that's how it felt against <laughs> Jordy Ball. Uh, and then defensively, it, it was just ugly. Now, here's what I got to say about Oklahoma. Everyone loves to talk about the Jossies, the Kinseys, the Jadas, the Tiaris, right? One through four in the lineup went two for 15 against UCLA. That's it. It was not those main players, which is the scariest thing ever, guys. Because if you can rely on five to nine to beat a number three, four team in the country, and although the game was only 4-1, it felt about 9-1 if you were there. It, that's a scary place to be for every other team in the country if you're Oklahoma, right? Because you you just beat UCLA single-handedly with your five through nine players and uh, Jordy Ball. Well, pretty much Jordy Ball beat UCLA. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, there, there was another top 10 matchup this weekend was Alabama and Arizona out in Tucson. And uh, Oklahoma certainly made a statement against UCLA, but the Crimson Tide also made a pretty big statement against Arizona. Yeah, I have to tell you guys. So I was walking into the UCLA game or I was sitting and I got a text from Melissa Palomino. It's like, who you got tonight, Alabama or Arizona? And I was so, uh, there was so much going on at Bill Barber. I had Rudy in my hand, so I don't even respond. And then it's funny because I go to respond later after the run roll whomping. And I'm like, huh, like, is this even a question? You know, like <laughs> after the fact, it's like the text is almost irrelevant because it was such a whomping. Um, Lexi Kilfoyle stepped up. I obviously didn't get to watch the game. I wish that I would have. But when Arizona wins their first game 22 to 0, everyone's kind of thinking, okay, are they? I mean, they obviously lost so many players last year, but are they the real deal? Can they hit? Can they play? questionable in the circle of course you think or you assume or you hope that Alabama is going to throw Montana Fouts just because you want to see it right for no other reason than you just want to see Montana go up against Arizona uh, but they didn't even need to and Lexi's demeanor from the clips that I saw really stood out to me and her ability to do it on both sides of the ball her ability to get it done in the circle and in the box is so impressive and I have to tell you, I think I said this to about five people this weekend, uh, including Christy Thomas Cuddy, who is a huge Alabama softball or Alabama fan in general, but really an Alabama softball fan. I told her that I think that this is the best Alabama offense collectively that I can remember in quite some time. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. That's how I, I, 
Uh, that was the potential that I saw. I said in our first episode that I wasn't sure if we'd see a 480 average like what Bailey had or, you know, somebody just pop off and, and be the go-to offensive player, but I could see it being one through nine, kind of similar to 2019 Oklahoma where nobody was like hitting 480, but everybody right. was above 300. Yeah. Right. And, and it's weird to say that, you know, Alabama just graduated their all-time leader in home runs in Bailey Hemphill. But if you look at it, Alabama has more power up and down the lineup than, than what throughout they have it. Like, yeah. Right. How many did you guys hit this weekend? Ten. 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 I, I thought it was eleven, but ten. And granted, and we said this a lot on the Seven Innings podcast, and everyone says this because it's true. The ball flies in Arizona, but you still have to hit the ball. Like you still have to get the pitch and put the swing on it, right? I mean, yeah. yes, the ball flies, and that's fun. That's great to put up a ten spot, but you still have to hit. And was it Lexi Kilfoyle who just hit like an absolute monster bash? Like the ball still yeah. hasn't landed. Yeah, Kilfoyle's home run. It was the first run of the game against Arizona because uh, it was a pitcher's duel for the first two innings. And we thought, oh, right, I did not realize yeah. that it was the first hit or the first run. Yeah, yeah. And, and she just, she did, you know, their grandstand out in left field. Oh, it, I know it. it, it yes, it, uh, <laughs> it landed, I think, in the last row before, like it almost cleared the thing. It, yes, it, was, JDH. it was amazing was saying today on the podcast she said you know obviously she's taken a lot of at bats in that park and she doesn't remember hitting the ball that far and that's one of Arizona's best hitters so that's saying a lot <laughs> so we, we had fun basically we did. Is, is the bottom line there <laughs> another team Jen that was really impressive on opening weekend Washington uh, I, I was stunned honestly at how the offense did 414 as a team the freshman olivia johnson i'm sure she got player of the week or something for seven innings she hit 700 now i think kind of similarly with ucla we've had this debate about washington for years about who's going to be the number two that still seems up for grabs but could this be the year where they have an offense that kind of makes that conversation a moot point Maybe yes, maybe no. A couple things that stood out when I was doing some research on them. There were only, let me make sure that I get this number right. There were only four people in their lineup who started all five games. That was intriguing to me. Hmm. Only four people. So like Jade Lenalchin didn't start every game. Sarah Willis didn't start every game. Uh, there were certain, Kelly Lynch didn't start every game. So it was interesting to me, is Heather Tard trying to figure out who those people are, who's going to earn it. She maybe because if you look at Washington's of the past, she has kind of ride or died with her same net nine, maybe interchanging a little, maybe Kelly Lynch is pitching or playing first, or maybe moving the pieces around defensively. But from an offensive standpoint, she hasn't mixed it up all that much. So only four individuals starting all five games of the weekend really stood out to me. Sarah Willis, who could be in contention to have some innings in the circle, right? Did you see that play she made in center field? She robbed a home run in center field. The could be number two, could be number three pitcher for Washington is in center field. That really stood out to me. Gabby Plain looked brilliant. She looked very good. Olivia Johnson, we can sing her praises all day long. Bailey Klingler, she really stood out to me with her ability to get it done when they needed her against Arkansas. You look at those Arkansas scores and you think, oh man, they, they, hand, they just killed them. Okay, let's, let's think about game one. Arkansas didn't throw half, so we'll call that a wash. That's a run rule, I'm okay with that. 
if you look at their game two against Arkansas, Arkansas was actually winning that game with half in the circle. And it was Bailey Klingler who came up with the bases loaded and hit a grand slam that turned that score around, half taken out of the game. And then it ends up, I think, finishing, what, 10-5, something mm -hmm. like that, I believe the final was. Uh, but Washington's ability to get it done with different people, similar to Alabama, not relying on maybe one hitter, we're talking about Olivia Johnson a ton, but there were other people. I mean, uh, Sammy Reynolds hit 571 and no one's talked about her all week and she had almost 600, you know? So it's really funny to see how we get these names in our head and all of a sudden there are stories for everything, right? Even a Bailey Hemphill, when there are other people in the lineup that are contributing and there are other people that are allowing those big stars to have their moments. So is this the year that Washington doesn't need a number two pitcher? Longer World Series format? Maybe. Who knows? Uh, I still, when I look at UCLA, for example, I feel like they need a number two. So if I'm saying that about UCLA and a Faramo, I can't not say that about Washington. Is that can a fair answer? Off? No, I agree. And can I spin off a bit? Because you brought up yeah. number two against Arkansas, or uh, the game number two against Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And I said this on the air to Tom. I said, you know, if you're Arkansas, you're up 5-2 on Washington in the sixth with mm -hmm. Mary half pitching. You've mm -hmm. scored five runs off the others. Right. You think you've won that game. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like the results of that game says more about Washington being able to come back or about Arkansas and maybe some issues they might have going forward this year? 1000% Arkansas. I think that when I looked at Arkansas and their individual players, it's very similar to my feelings about Oklahoma state right now. You look at Oklahoma state, you look at Arkansas, you think player for player, they're very talented. They are very talented. The, the transfer portal helped those two programs out a ton, but you look at how they're performing as a team and they're both very questionable to me right now. So are they not going to get there or do they just need time to get there? So that's my biggest question about those two programs right now. One team, another team that has some question marks after the first weekend was LSU who uh, loses two games. They went four and two, but they lost the game to Illinois and to central Arkansas in Baton Rouge. Uh, I know we don't want to overreact on maybe just a couple of bad outings, but does, is there issues in Baton Rouge at LSU? Yeah, I, I don't think that it's ever overreacting if you're just honest about what you see. I got to watch pretty much the entire game that they had against Illinois, and I was impressed with Illinois. I thought Illinois played really well. Even when LSU would score a run, Illinois would answer back. It was a scrappy ball game both ways. Um, I think LSU has some work to do, big time. Like very simply said is they did not impress me weekend one. Um I, I love some of their players. I think that they're talented. There's no doubt about it. But just overall, as a team, offensively, defensively, and in the circle, they just were not impressive. Even Taylor Pleasance, who is a phenomenal shortstop, who just made Team USA, who can hit, she, she didn't look great this weekend. I'm saying that nicely. She just didn't look like herself. So... I'm interested to see how LSU progresses or more so if they progress. Jen Schroeder joining us here as we steal second on episode two of season four here on the Out of the Box podcast. Jen, you mentioned Oklahoma State. Our group chat came alive when Miranda Ellish came back in the circle <laughs> this weekend for the Cowgirls. And mixed results, 
an ERA over four, 10 innings, 10 and a third, I should say. She gave up six earned runs, walked six, did strike out 13. I don't know how much of Ellis you got to see this weekend, but from what you did see, how would you evaluate her first weekend back? Uh, so truthfully, I did not get to see her personally throw one pitch, but I was tracking it pretty closely. I think that she needs more time. I think she needs more live batters. I think she needs more reps with her team. It's funny because I think that she's so talented that I don't worry about her as much. And I don't know if that's so off base or if she's just earned that respect from me over time. I'm excited to watch her progress because I think her story is really cool. And me as a fan, I want to see her be as good as she was at Texas and at Oregon at Oklahoma state. I want to see that, but think about it. There's so many new players at that program. There's so, there's so many new, new faces there. This is where the transfer portal at times can be really good, or it could be detrimental to a team culture. You know, I don't, I don't know that that didn't happen. You didn't transfer back in my day. I seem so old, right? My last playing day, my last playing year was 2008. It's a long time ago transferring was taboo it's just something you didn't do and now you're seeing girls go to two schools regularly going to three schools isn't even abnormal uh, like Elish and so it's like how do you develop that team camaraderie how do you learn how to fight with the girls around you how do you learn to trust your teammates those are the questions that I have and I don't think that those can be measured weekend one or, or even in the first month I want to reevaluate those things come April and May. Were there any other big storylines this weekend that, that stuck out at you in, in weekend number one? You know, I was impressed with Auburn, Shelby Lowe. I thought she did a great job. I know you guys don't want to hear it, you Alabama fans, but. Uh, this, was, this, this is the president of the Shelby I do Lowe love Banjo. Shelby Lowe. Yeah. Okay. I, it was interesting to see her actually get some help this weekend. Now, they were not right. playing exactly teams that right. I would call dominant, but. Still, play they, someone they scored. That, play someone that practices outside before February, then we'll we'll talk about it. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, <laughs> I actually thought Michigan was going to have a more successful weekend. I'm not sure how you guys felt about that. They have got to figure out how to put some offensive production together throughout their lineup because, I mean, their arms are so good, right? Bobian, Starocco, like these are A plus plus pitchers. But if you don't have run support, it becomes really hard to win ball games. You need to win. And Florida looked good. They really did. They looked good. And your guys' girl, Skylar Wallace, looked good too there. She, she really did. So I'm, <laughs> you guys, they're laughing at me. You guys cannot <laughs> see this if you're listening to the podcast, but they're laughing back at me. Um, but she did look good there. So I'm interested to see how Florida does as the season progresses. Okay, I got to ask you guys, how do you feel about the ACC? Because Keely Richard had three wins against three ranked teams this weekend at Virginia Tech. You want to hear the bold prediction I made a Scarborough made on our podcast today? Go for it. He thinks, this is absurd to me, no offense to ACC fans, but this seems very bold, that two, if not three, or three, if not two, two to three teams from the ACC will be at the World Series. I don't see it. Uh, Neither. I'd be surprised. I don't know who the third team would be. There are two obvious contenders, but Clemson, I mean. She had Clemson and Virginia Tech as the two. And then, or or Florida State. Duke was like the fourth. So it's Florida State, Clemson, or Virginia Tech. And then. Possibly Duke. 
I, I'm going to say no shot. If, if Amanda's right, I'll buy her a nice bottle of wine, but I, I don't, I don't see a scenario where that happens. Right. To me, the other storyline before we move on to this weekend, Jen, Florida state, you know, last year in the regular season, their offense was not good. I mean, the team average was well below 300. They didn't have much power. It perked up in the postseason, as we certainly remember. But in the regular season, they struggled. Opening weekend, you had Devin Flaherty hitting 667. Our girl, Mac right. Leonard, hit 700. I mean, that lineup was potent against okay mid-major teams. And that, to me, was maybe the biggest surprise I saw from teams outside of the SEC. Yeah, I mean, Mac Leonard really, I know she's your girl, Gray. Mac Leonard really impressed me. Um, I'm, I'm getting the chance to do preseason interviews with every team for ESPN. And Mac Leonard was one of the ones who I, uh, I really wanted to talk to. But, you know, we only get to pick so many girls from each team. And she was one that I was, I, I took a stand. I'm like, you know what? I'm talking to her. Like, I, I really want to talk to her. So I was so happy when she hit 700. Cause I'm like, yes, I made the right decision. <laughs> like, yes, Mac, I love you. You don't even know me, but I love you because you're making me look good right now. Uh, so I, I was impressed with them offensively. Most definitely. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, and if you need help with Mac, I've got some tips. Okay. Things you can ask her. Perfect. Moving to this weekend, everyone's going to have their eyes, if not in Tuscaloosa, which we'll talk about in a minute, on the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational. It's back. The field is stacked. Like, everybody's playing in it again. What game are you most excited to see down in Florida? Well, I have to say this, and not because it's my alma mater, but because it just got moved to ESPN. So, primetime, Sunday night, Florida State versus UCLA on ESPN, the big dog. And it Whoa. just got moved there like a couple hours ago. Don't know if it's been announced yet. Maybe it has. If not, your list. Well, by the time this podcast is out, everyone will know. But my eyes are on that one. It's a rematch. You guys remember two years ago when you guys were there, Maya Brady, freshman, comes up with the big hit against them. So I, I'm really excited for that game. Uh, not because I'm a UCLA fan, but just because what it means to the sport. We're in February and we're on ESPN. That is mm. huge. Absolutely. Is there a, a team in that field? It's a stacked field, like we said. Is there a team that really needs to have a, is in the most need of having a real strong weekend? Okay. I got, I have three, I have three teams for you. Oklahoma State, Texas, and Michigan. I just want to see what Michigan can do against top competition from an offensive standpoint. And the same with Texas. We haven't talked about them much today. But to me, I want to see how they pair up against better competition. To me, one of the games that sticks out features your Bruins, and it's UCLA and Auburn. You, know, you just mentioned how impressed you were with Shelby Lowe. We cracked a joke about Auburn not playing teams that are really very good at softball. If the Auburn thing is for real this year, they'll be able to compete with the Bruins. If Auburn is what we expect them to be and what we think they will be this year, you should, UCLA should run rule that game. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. It's also at like 10 a.m. on Saturday. So <laughs> sleep well, ladies. She's right. Well, also my questions too, it's like, these are such great matchups, but if you don't get the arms you want going against one another, then the scores can sometimes be a lot more lopsided than you'd hope for, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when we mention these matchups, we hope for top pitcher versus top pitcher, like A squad versus A squad. And sometimes we just don't get them, especially a 10 a.m. game one, you know, on a Saturday. We might not get it. Uh, when people are playing double headers or, you know, multiple games in a day, 
that they're your a pitcher your number one is not going to go twice in a day normally so although i'm really excited for some of these games they may not be the exact matchups that we want to see yeah you may you may say more about pitching depth in certain teams right yeah overall now i will say jen we know we're going to get some pitching duels here in Tuscaloosa this weekend because outside of Clearwater, the best games are right here. They're at the mm-hmm. Roadhouse. We've got two battles between number two, Alabama, and number eight, Virginia Tech. How many runs are going to be scored in those two games? I'll set the over-under at seven and a half. Total runs combined. I'm going under. <laughs> Aren't you guys? I think you'd be right, honestly. Oh, my gosh. Those You guys play Virginia Tech twice? Twice. Oh, oh, I'm so excited. That is such a good matchup. Because you got to think Keith Richards is getting the ball both times. Pete's going to be like, here, girl, go. <laughs> I, they're probably probably will face Kilfoyle once and Montana once. That's what I would think from, Al- from Alabama's standpoint. But, oh, my God. Now, Keely is just good. She is a workhorse. She is determined. Holly referenced her as what she calls the most stubborn pitcher in America. That when she sets her mind to something, she's very stubborn. This is coming from an interview that she just had with her, apparently. Um, That when she sets her mind to something, she is extremely stubborn in her uh, ability to achieve that or in her, I don't even know what the right word would be to use, in her attempt, I guess, to achieve that. She's very stubborn in going after what she wants. So it's an interesting word to use to describe a pitcher, but uh, Keely Richard takes a lot of pride in that. Again, three and zero this past weekend against three ranked teams. It's crazy. No pitcher yeah. in the country did that, by the way. No, it's the kind of matchup that you dream of, you know, to, to be on campus. We know that at these neutral site matchups, you're going to get top 10 teams, ranked teams, you're going to get battles like that. But for this to be in Tuscaloosa mm-hmm. for the home opening weekend, I know Tom's excited. I'm excited. I mean, what a way to kick off the parties at Rhodes this year. Absolutely. I mean, you have the, some of those neutral site games there, but you know, Clearwater has a little bit more, but that facility as it is, I mean, there could be, you know, just a couple hundred people there. You're going to have a top 10 matchup here at the Rhodes house with 4,000. Right. Well, you guys have 4,000 people there. I think I Friday, so. Friday, there's a chance of it. I yeah. mean, they sold uh, 3,200 season tickets. So. That is just wild. I don't know if UCLA sells 3,200 tickets in the year. <laughs> I'm uh, not kidding. Right. Well, that's, you know, some of that's the facility. Yeah, y'all got to y'all gotta get up in the uh, rebuild, remodel mm-hmm. game that everybody else is doing. Yeah, the only issue is in LA, like a dollar, you know, a dollar in Tuscaloosa costs about a hundred in LA to <laughs> yeah. build something. So. That, yeah, that real estate's prime. Yes. I, that's, that's true, yes. <laughs> like you hit a home run into Bel Air, you know, Tom Cruise is throwing it back saying, keep your ball in your own field. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So that there would be stars that are practice, like Reese Witherspoon would be in our bullpen. We're like, hey Reese, like it's wild. It's a whole different ball game, you know? Okay, wait, I didn't know this. So who else has stopped by when you've been at UCLA games or who have you oh seen walking God. around? Okay, well, so Julie Pacino was on our team for a bit, right? So Al Pacino would would come all the time, which was like very, very funny. Wow. Uh, he Oh, I'm just going to go there. He would like have a dirty shirt all the time. Be like, don't you, can't you afford a clean shirt? Like, Doesn't he have people for that? I don't know. Um, but when Reese was doing her softball movie, actually, I don't know if you guys know this, Tara Henry was Reese Witherspoon's stunt double. 
slid into home and yeah yeah so i did not know this wow yes so reese was hilarious she'd be in her bullpen like are we gonna go get a drink like she's hilarious (laughs) she has a free-flowing mouth a lot of f-words come out but it's like she's this little itty bitty woman it's just hilarious so yeah it would happen a lot Oh my gosh, this is Crazy. this has been quite the conversation <laughs> with Jen Schroeder here on the Out of the Box podcast. It's going to be in the group chat in a second, huh? Tara, I didn't know you were Reese, Reese Witherspoon's stunt double. <laughs> oh yeah, no, as this is downloading, I'm going to be sending that in just a moment. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much for hopping on with us. It's always great to see your wonderful face. Are you going to come by Tuscaloosa at all this year, we hope? I'm hoping, actually, yes. I don't know when for games, but I'm waiting on a schedule that I'm supposed to be in Tuscaloosa either the first or second week of March. March, hopefully to do some team interviews um but apparently someone at Alabama hasn't gotten back to us so if you're listening if you're the person at Alabama who has yet to get back to ESPN this is your sign to remember to do it because I want to come party at Rhodes with y'all we might know who that is we but might be, maybe able to. <laughs> and he might be a frequent listener so we'll see <laughs> Jen Schroeder thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me guys so that was ceiling segment with Jen Schroeder you know what I love about Jen She's the only person when she comes on this podcast that essentially starts interviewing us. Right. Yes. Which I appreciate. I'm happy about it. I hope she actually does value our opinions because it makes me feel special. (laughs) Like, oh, Jen's asking me. What? Yes. Uh, Thank you to Jen. And now thank you to all of you because, Tom, when we come back, we will round third and hit the mailbag. You have questions. We might have answers. We have thoughts and opinions more so than answers. We'll do our best. That's next when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. We're rounding third. Ray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. It's the Out of the Box podcast. Our second episode of season four, our 42nd during the regular season. Tom, before we get to the mailbag, I want to thank our listeners because it was the highest listener total we've ever had in the first 24 hours of an episode. Wow. And for a premiere, it is the highest we've ever had after a week. So thank you, everyone. Yes, thank you so much. And it's almost as though people are excited for softball. Well, clearly, because yes. I ha- I got a lot of questions yes. for the mailbag. It's time for some fan mail. Fans of softball, not fans of us. Mm-hmm. Most important. We will start with Corey. Thoughts on Tao struggling early? Uh, we kind of touched on this a bit in the first segment, Tom. I'm not super concerned. I think if I think if in the first Virginia Tech game, by the end of that, you know, she, maybe she's like one for seven on the day or something. Maybe you move her down to yeah. the seven hole, but you know, the two hits to close out the weekend, like I said earlier, make me confident in keeping her in the three spot. Right. Yeah. I think the New Mexico game, she started to come out of it a little bit, drew, drew three walks for the weekend overall. I'm, I'm not concerned. Yeah. 
Griffin asks, of the conference teams who lost two games during opening weekend, which is more surprising, Arkansas, LSU, or Missouri? I think we would both say LSU. Yeah, LSU because it was in Baton Rouge. Right. You shouldn't lose to UConn, uh, but as we talked about. Congrats, Nikki Cucci. Right, yes. Yes. Uh, But when when you look at it, you could say Missouri just had one bad day because they looked better as the weekend went along. Uh, LSU's losses being spread out and then not even looking good in their wins, I think was – yeah. much more surprising and at the end of the day you know when we're doing bracketology arkansas's two losses were to washington right so yeah it's not bad losses no right. you had a bad loss and a loss that could end up being okay but mm. probably not one you should drop it down right sid extraordinaire nathan sheehan asks best pazuki flavor Ooh. so this is kind of stepping on tom's hungry yes. a bit, but we did go to bj's and we got pazukis mm-hmm. and i'm not gonna say well, we can say it now. I got monkey bread and I loved it. It was it was the best one I've ever had of all really? the ones I've wow. had. Yeah. And if you don't know what bazooki is, it's based, it's served in a skillet. It's a big warm cookie with ice cream on it. Yes. And, yes, it is. I mean it sounds and it's as good as it sounds. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I really liked the uh the red velvet one. It was the special of the month. I got one of those. I got the three bazooki sampler which are the many many bazookis but it was a lot of bazooki i probably ate too much bazooki so i would say of those of the three i got because i got the red velvet i got peanut butter and then i got cookies and cream red velvet Velvet was my favorite of those three but they were all good i mean can't complain about any of them we're going to be going back to bj's and gainesville and maybe other stops Mm -hmm. unclear who knows thank you sid extraordinaire nathan sheehan maris schroeder very important question 10 home runs opening weekend. Is that like good or something? Seems like not enough people are making a big deal about it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, as Jen said, the ball does fly out of there in Arizona, but it didn't seem to me as though they were, they weren't wind aided or necessarily thin air aided very right. much. I mean, there were maybe one or two that you could say were wall scrapers, but I mean, most of them were, were no doubters. Yeah, and think about it. Ten of those, all ten of those home runs came in three games. No right. home runs hit against New Mexico. I think we'll find out if this is like a real thing. If Alabama just pops off this weekend sure. in Tuscaloosa, oh yeah, you know, it's going to be colder. It's it's not as hitter friendly here at the Rhodes House as it is out in Hill and Brand. If Alabama has ten home runs this weekend, we're talking about yeah. a historic pace, <laughs> considering some of the pitchers are going to be facing this weekend too. Bray asks, what are your guys' thoughts on having games played on Flow Softball versus the ESPN Networks? I feel like that was a hotly debated issue this weekend. It we're certainly gonna, was. We're going to touch on this on Off the Wall because mm-hmm. we, we, we need to inform some people about some <laughs> things. But the one critical piece of information here is these tournaments, when they sign these streaming deals, they si- the tournaments are the ones who decide that, not the TV networks. So St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational, they signed a deal with ESPN. The tournament out in California, they signed a deal with Flow Softball. Right. And I mean, the you could definitely say for sure that you know ESPN has more uh, resources. So their their broadcasts are probably better overall. There are certainly some issues with not just Flow Softball, but with the Pac-12 Network's uh, coverage uh, on their streaming service out in Arizona. So uh, it's all about resources and how much you know people put toward it. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely, we'll, we'll talk about it next segment a lot more, but there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. Also it was Super Bowl weekend. So ESPN right. had other priorities and I, I, I don't blame them. It's right. a friggin' Super Bowl. Also, I mean, and also again, we'll, we'll talk more, but you don't, we're complaining about not every softball game being available, 
you know, to be, to be watched, we're not that far removed from, you know, being excited for like two or three a year yeah. being, being on TV. So a uh, little perspective on this. Rennie asks reactions to the upcoming poll. So the one that was dropped today, who's your top five this week? We'll just do top fives, Tom, right. because we don't want to take forever. <laughs> I have no qualms with the poll ESPN put out. Oklahoma one, Alabama two, UCLA three. I might flip UCLA and Florida. Gators are at four. Washington, Florida State is a coin flip at five and six to me, but I think that from what I've seen, those are the clear top six teams here early in the year. UCLA will be fine despite the loss to Oklahoma. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm fine with it as well. I think you look at it, Oklahoma and Alabama. I think had the two best wins on, on week number one. Uh, so you know, for them to be them, so you saw Oklahoma State, which was the only one that was at number two ahead of Alabama in some polls. So with them losing, that they fell down. So. I think you have a clear one, one and two, and then no problem with anybody following them. Bray also asks another question. Thoughts on Megan Bloodworth not being SEC freshman of the week or even co-freshman of the week. I would have done co. I mean, you can't take away what Delbury did. It was a great debut. Instead of doing co-pitcher, you just do one pitcher and do co-freshman. But for Megan Bloodworth not to be recognized at all is – uh, surprising and disappointing, honestly. Tom, I know you have other words to say. Farcical is mm. what that was. Ridiculous. No, no way Megan Bloodworth's not at least the co-freshman of the week in the SEC, if not overall, because, I mean, and it's not only just because she hit a grand slam in the first pitch that she ever saw, <laughs> but, you know, she hit two more home runs that weekend and a triple. She was, you know, it wasn't just, you know, she had a couple of really good at bats. She was a force all four games right. out in Arizona. You know, Florida pitcher had one one outing. It was a good outing. Yeah, but I mean, come on. And why are we being stingy with the co's in week number one? For goodness, sake. it, it would have seemed no easy to just toss out a co right there and Makes everything's no fine. Parsicle. Oh, well, hopefully Megan Bloodworth will have another weekend where she can I, cash I, in. I foresee there being other. Uh, SEC freshman of the weeks for Alabama, not just for Megan Bloodworth, Dallas Goodnight, and several others probably will have one, have them as well as the season goes along. But just stealing one from them in week number one certainly, you know, puts a chip on my shoulder. It may put it on theirs as well. <laughs> Don't eat the chip, Tom. Mm. Here is Cindy's question Do y'all think the younger pitchers will have an increased role as the season goes on, or will coach stick with just Montana and Lexi for the bulk of the starts? Yeah. I think that Jayla Torrance showed a lot. Alex Salter, you know, it's going to be kind of trial by fire for her. We're going to, I'm sure, see a lot of non-con starts. I don't know how much conference play Salter's going to get just because she still needs to develop the ability to to beat a team a, a third time through the order. Mm-hmm. But Torrance showed me a lot. I'd like to see Torrance in a complete seven-inning game where she has to face batters a third time as well. But, yeah, I, I totally see a world where Torrance and Salter have a lot of starts this year as well. They'll have a lot of the stars. I think you'll see almost exclusively those two pitching in midweeks yes. and in games in some of these other tournaments here in the pre-conference. The only midweek um, where there that might not happen is Florida State. Sure, right. Everything else should be Salter and Torrance. Right. But that being said, so I think it'll be Montana and Lexi starting those weekend conference games. But I certainly think that we will see Jayla and Salter pitch some in those midweek in the in the conference games maybe not necessarily as a start but you know coming in a a matchup maybe a closing situation salter could be a heck of a reliever right i mean considering 
how much different she is from every other pitcher on staff. Right. And, you know, and finding, finding that combination of the pitchers that are so different from each other uh, that it would be a huge shock to a batter for the other one to come in. Emily Petek Clifford, we know her. Yes. Is the hitting trend sustainable? So there are two parts to this question. We'll answer that first one. Um, no, you're not going to hit 10 home runs every weekend, but I think the average, you know, it's probably not going to be 360 every weekend, but it's probably going to be close to that, I think. Right. Yeah. You know, numbers wise, maybe not, you know, but I, I think production wise, because I think there's a difference between production and numbers. Right. Uh, production wise, I think, yes, it is the same. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're in agreement there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Statistically, maybe not production wise. Yes. What four teams do you definitely have in OKC? P-Tech adds, I think there are only four clear teams there at this moment. Maybe a fifth that we play on Friday and Saturday. Ooh, wow. Oh, Connor shot. I would not have Virginia Tech on that list. If I had to pick four clear teams, it'd be Alabama, Oklahoma, probably UCLA, and I, I think Washington. Yeah, because yeah. with that offense, if they're playing that well in the postseason, we talk about it every year. If they're hosting supers, they're making it to the World Series because nobody's going to Seattle and beating Washington. No, probably not. But I would put those three. I don't know if I'm putting UCLA in the four yet. You know, from what we heard, what we saw, what we heard from Jen, I think there's, I think there's still some issues there. And you know, if they're running up against somebody, you know, in the Pac-12 mm. that can give them some extra losses there, maybe. They're still favored to, but I'm not sure if I would put them as a four definite. Okay. Uh, but I don't know who that fourth one is that I'm taking. Maybe Florida State. Course. Maybe Florida State, yeah. Uh, I, or maybe – I think it's probably a team that might not be as uh, – that wasn't maybe as impressive as they should have been in week number one that's going to grow into it a little bit more. Finally from Brooke, Tom's hungry for those coming to Rhodes for the first time. Oh, Welcome. Wow. Yes. We're excited to have you. So looking at the schedule, you got one thirty and four games. So that means probably dinner and breakfast, right? So mm-hmm. let's start there. Breakfast, uh, babes. There is a place on university that I can never remember the name of. Love is in the title. I think it's One Love, True Love Coffee, something like that. They've got omelets that they make in waffle makers. Oh, yeah. Yes. Big fan. Big fan. Google it. Love is in there and get the cinnamon rolls. <laughs> that, that is very good. Uh, for dinner, uh, Southern Ale House is actually mm. is, is close to the Rhodes house. Uh, so that, that's a, that's a really good one. There's a lot of new places that have gone in along the strip. So it may be worth just, you know, driving down the strip and kind of looking around and see what's there. You know, the trusted, there's several wings places, Buffalo Phil's, uh, Baumhauer's are, are both really good and, and both uh, really close to the stadium if you're not trying to get too far out. Yeah. So lots of options. You can DM us as well. If you, you know, if you are deciding between two places let us know. We'll give you our best advice. We're also up for NIL deals yes. for any of these places if they would like to. We just mentioned so many restaurants. <laughs> if Christopher Mobley wants to dress us, sure, I will Instagram the heck out of that. Also, just enjoyed uh, just enjoyed Valentine's Day at De Palma's. Uh-huh. So if you're into Italian, that's right there as well. Let's get some free pasta at De Palma's. Mm-hmm. Big week two games outside the SEC. Wednesday, one that I wrote down, but it's kind of lost its luster with South Alabama not performing well against LSU and LSU being what they were in opening weekend. South Alabama at Florida State. Our friend JDH will be on the call for that. Thursday, Minnesota to Arizona State. And then the non-SEC Clearwater games, Tom, from Friday to Sunday. A lot of good stuff on here. And a couple others as well. Yeah, you know, Michigan, Oklahoma State on Friday. Oklahoma at Houston could be interesting. In an, actual, an actual road game for, for the Sooners. That gets started on Friday as well. 
Texas UCLA sticks out on Saturday, Washington, Oklahoma State, but Oklahoma State, man, this is quite the slate. And then that Sunday meeting between the Bruins and the Seminoles, you heard Jen talk about it on big ESPN, which I did not know. That is huge. That is, that is massive. Uh, Washington and Clemson is also on, uh, on Sunday. Uh, Clemson, you know, we didn't talk about them a whole lot, but kind of up and down in week number one. I expected kinda, more. Kind of, eh. So we'll, we'll see how they're able to do. You know, this is still a very, very young program. And the first, you know, the first type of, I think it's the first time they've been to Clearwater, is it not? Yes, it is. Yeah. So see how they react in, in that type of atmosphere. Boy, oh boy, Tom, what a weekend. I mean, week two. It, it literally starts at 10 a.m. on Thursday. <laughs> I have Zooms that I'm not going to do in this office. I'm going to do them outside so I can watch Tennessee, Notre Dame, and all of the softball that will unfold on, on Thursday. I'm, I'm so excited. Massive. Thank you, Megaronowitz and Michelle Smith and all the friends. Great, great work. <laughs> okay, Tom. This is like this is like an episode of Friends compared to our last episode. It is. Yeah, we're, we're kind of speeding on through. And by the way, again, Clearwater, a tremendous tournament. Build a better facility. <laughs> Let's say we head home. Let's do it. Okay. It's time to wrap things up. When we get back, we will head home and play the overreaction game. Insert theme music. Maybe. Unclear. I don't know. I don't have the rights to anything what, on Game what, Show Network. I was say, what rights do we have? Well, we'll not get us in trouble. <laughs> then we got off the wall. <sighs> Tom's hungry. Great. How can we have an off the wall? Alabama went 4-0 in dominant fashion. We were doing so well. And then just... <sighs> All right. All right. That's coming up. We head home here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It's time to head home. Turn on your songs. I don't know. What are we listening to, Tom? <laughs> what do we want to hear? So, well, how about some Skinnerd? Okay, Leonard Skinnerd. Just like the frat houses yes. in Arizona as we rolled by. <laughs> then we said hello to them and did not go back to see them later that evening. Patrick Murphy said, go take a picture and make sure you let them know you're not coming <laughs> on Friday night. <laughs> Thank you for the support. They weren't they weren't right. as boisterous on Saturday. Mm. I don't know what happened. Mm. It's, too bad. Mm. it's time to head home. Before we do that, let's take a look at what happened previously. We started at the plate, talked about Alabama. Then we advanced to first, broke down the SEC, still second with our friend Jen Schroeder, rounded third, answered some of your questions, we hope, actually. Yeah. There were a lot of like yes or no answers, which was nice. Also looked at some big games in week two. Now it's time to head home, and we will start with a new game. Yes. The overreaction game. I'm, I'm big, big on games. Yes. Here's how this will work. I've got three sets of three statements. Okay. I will read each statement, and Tom, you will tell me which is the biggest overreaction and which is the smallest overreaction. So, like, which, which is you hear it and you go, "You're crazy," right? And which you hear and you say, "Ah, yeah, maybe." Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Are you ready? I think I'm ready. Yes. Okay. Set number one. This is almost like Wordle, but I think I got it. Okay. <laughs> well, I lost Wordle the other day. Oh, no. So, oh. Yeah. The first set of questions or statements. Mm -hmm. Number one, the SEC race will be decided in Gainesville between Alabama and Florida, and that's pretty clear right now. Number two, LSU isn't hosting regionals. Number three, Auburn will be a top 16 seed. Wow. I will say Auburn is top 16 seed is the biggest overreaction because I don't, I don't see them being in that, at that level. Uh, we'll see 
if they're able to do well in Clearwater, I might change my mind on that. But as of based on last weekend, no, I'm not going to say uh, they've gone from last in the league to <laughs> the top 16. Uh, I think you could say probably the Florida, Alabama, the race coming down to that is the least of an overreaction. I think that's still a little bit of an overreaction, uh, but you could definitely make more of a uh, sound argument for that one. So the middle one, LSU isn't hosting regionals. You made a face when I read that. Yeah. Is it something you'd even considered? Because we've long thought of LSU right. as an automatic host. It's Yeah, it's, it's not one I was thinking of when you said that, but I could see them not being a top 16 team. Okay. All right. The biggest overreaction, Auburn being a top 16 team, the least. We already know that the SEC race is down <laughs> to Alabama, Florida, right. and Gainesville. Now, and again, to be clear, I think that is an overreaction, just not as big as the other. Right. The second set of statements. Number one, Michigan does not have the offense to win the Big Ten. Number two, Oklahoma State will finish third in the Big 12. And number three, one of Washington or UCLA won't make it to OKC because of a lack of pitching depth. All right. I will say the first one, again, was? Michigan doesn't have the offense to win the Big Ten. I think that's the biggest overreaction because of the rest of the Big Ten. Okay. Uh, I, I think that the Big Ten is winnable with dominant pitching and a just good enough offense. Right. So I think, I think that's the biggest overreaction. The least of the overreactions was the second one, which Oklahoma State will finish third in the Big Twelve. Yeah, because I, I think that's going to happen. Okay. I, I think I don't think that's an overreaction at all. I think that is going to happen. Oklahoma and or Texas will be ahead of them. The final set number one, an Alabama Oklahoma rematch for a title on the tenth anniversary of the Dancing in the Rain game is happening. It's happening. Number two. Only two SEC teams will host Supers. And number three, sealing Amanda Scarbrose, the ACC will have two teams in the Women's College World Series. See, because I think that's possible because depending on how the, the bracket works out, I can see both Virginia Tech and Florida State making it. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, it's possible. There's going to be more than two SEC, so that's the biggest overreaction. Okay, so biggest is the SEC – Having two supers hosts, least is the ACC. I, I it's probably jumping the gun just a minute to say we already know what the championship series is going to be. Uh, but because <laughs> we did that right. last year, <laughs> right? And they played in an elimination game in like the quarters, <laughs> right? So, okay, that's the overreaction game. I actually agree with everything you said. Oh, like, wow, like the order that I wrote them. <laughs> So, again, just mm. perks of working together for six years. <laughs> okay, we've got that out of the way. Mm. It's time for off the wall. No, no. Alabama goes 4-0. and and, and you know what? Congrats, fans, because very little of the off the wall was results-based. Right. I had, I had off the wall commenters in my notes saying, like, good job and stuff. It was very strange. Very odd, yeah. Very well, strange. Because yeah, I think it kind of goes to where some people's – I think their fandom is more casual, but then they comment a lot. So we think that they're really, they're really bought in and focused in tune, in, yeah. in tune, but they just, they just comment a lot, but they're actually a, a casual fan and they just see home runs. They're like, yay. And then, so that's, you know, there you go. But yeah, but we've still got a pretty sizable off the wall segment. Tom, would you like to start? Because there are a couple topics we need to touch on here okay. in this segment. Right. Uh, well, I'm going to let you hit most of them. Uh, the main one, uh, or not necessarily the main one, one I've seen, Lady Tide 
and uh, and Crimson Tidettes, not the nickname of the team. No, no. <laughs> there, I, I don't understand why we want to try to name, you know, add other names and other nicknames. Here's the Crimson Tide. Tidettes made me laugh. I was like, all right, now you're just trying to be wrong. Come on. Like, come on. It's not even close. It's not a thing. Tidettes. It's not even what the, like the dance team is. <laughs> what? Is it my turn? Yes. Okay. I, I will turn it over to you. I'm sure I will have thoughts. The streaming discussion has begun. We touched on it earlier. These tournaments sell the media rights to these companies. So St. Pete Clearwater Elite Imitational was sold to ESPN as an ESPN event. It'll all be available on the ESPN app and on ESPNU and Longhorn Network and SEC Network. Now, I don't know why the tournaments out in California sell to Flow Softball. That is a question for them. Maybe that should be discussed. But all of these games are accessible. I, I just It's so interesting to me how many people in the comments would just say, well, I can't believe this isn't on TV as if, as if ESPN has not made more strides than anyone to make sure that softball is on TV as much as possible. I would like to say, if you haven't done the math or if you haven't read the press releases, there is more softball featuring SEC teams on the ESPN family of networks than there is baseball featuring SEC teams on the ESPN family of networks. Megaronowitz is the biggest fighter for softball on ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, the SEC Network, ACC Network, than anyone I know. So a lot of people were blaming ESPN for having these games not on television. I, I think we should be thanking ESPN for the visibility that the sport has. Absolutely. And also the SEC Network is part of ESPN, obviously. Right. But the SEC Network has no jurisdiction None. at Hill and Brand Stadium. None. Zero. So the conference realignment did not mean Arizona was coming to the SEC. Right. So it's important to remember as well that in the non-conference schedule, that if an SEC team is on the road, they have no control over the streaming options that are available or lack thereof. That has nothing to do with it. Also, Alabama cannot just set up an iPhone and stream you know on facebook live or youtube or anything like that because even if espn or alabama is not doing the streaming if there is a streaming uh component they have got the contract to that yes so it would be a breach of contract for alabama to air it in some other form or fashion so it's not alabama being lazy or alabama you know wanting for some reason not to have them on tv it is because of the contracts of the places that we're at yeah Alabama, just because Alabama is going to play there doesn't mean they get control over all the media rights of it. That's just not how that works. Two notes on that. One, uh, we were asked by Arizona if our radio broadcasts could be on the flow broadcast. Right. And we checked. It's not in the contract, so we couldn't do it. These contracts, you know, they're competing companies. So it's just how it is. That's business. And number two, even if we wanted to do that, when the Arizona games began, there was a big old sign on the big board that said no cameras. <laughs> so yes. we would have gotten in trouble right. if we had done that. Look, if y'all are freaking out about Tucson, just wait till we go to Youngsville, Louisiana. Right. There, I, I don't think there is a plan. Like we might be the only coverage. Right. I mean, and that, and again, that is not unusual. And it just shows, you know, in some ways the, the leaps and bounds that have been made in coverage but in other ways, how we've kind of gotten spoiled by the coverage. Right. Because, you know, we're not that far removed from 
you're lucky to get a couple games on TV a year. Uh, there's been so many advancements in that, and, and there's obviously been such the, the want and desire for every game. There's 56 games a year. There are other, the other sports still going on. There's only so many resources that are available. Basketball is still happening. Football is still happening. There, there was a lot still going on, mm-hmm. you know, that unfortunately, you know, it's something that we really care about, but it, you know, you kind of look at, you know, the totem pole of where everything is. And sometimes softball just isn't number one on that. And you add in the Super Bowl, as we talked right. about earlier. I mean, yeah. it was a packed weekend Absolutely. of sports that ESPN is already showcasing mm-hmm. and has showcased since their start. Yeah. And keep in mind, week two, we've got 40 games from Clearwater that will be yeah. available either on the app or on television. And that is just in Clearwater. Yeah. There are a ton of games available on the app that you can watch. Right. And, you know, bottom line, too, is, you know, to to your own horn a little bit, even those games that aren't available streaming it, they are. There is coverage. We are available. You know, you can listen to us on the radio. Yeah, we, we have that there. I remember there there was a time when not every football game was on TV. And you <gasps> had to listen to it on the radio. That was my point on Sunday. Yeah. I said, like, look, Alabama fans, we, we've gotten spoiled by our football coverage. Right. Alabama Southern Miss this year was a night game on ESPN2. Right. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Alabama versus Mercer was on TV. Like at I guess in absurd. The like, so, I mean, come on. Let's just be i'm not saying just you know be be happy what we have but be happy what we have yeah it's more than what we used to have (laughs) right and just don't be blaming espn don't blame espn don't blame alabama don't blame it's just there are other contracts that are out there right the uh, final note here every sec game every conference game away from Rhodes. every home game here at Rhodes will be available either on television or on the espn app on sec network plus you don't have to have an espn plus subscription to watch you can just watch it with your cable provider there will be links on facebook and twitter you just click the link you can watch pretty much everything else i think there are like seven to eight games i still don't really know about Hmm. going forward most of that is youngsville right you can watch the games and radio is there for everything right so the the access is there for all of you if you just click the button and don't freak out. Right. But again, most of the people that were really complaining about us are probably not listening to this, yeah. but yeah. maybe if you know those people and you have listened to this, then you can really relay the information. One more thing. I've written it down. I'm going <laughs> to hit, hit the bleep, Tom. Emailing coaches with bullshit <laughs> tips. Look, let's not, if you have a thought, keep it to yourself. Don't send novels to the coaching staff or to the players. I don't know if that's happening, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh. But don't send novels to the coaching staff explaining what they're doing wrong. Uh, the email that we were shown was <laughs> one of the most laughable things I've ever seen. It was like the definition of mansplaining. Mm-hmm. It was very disrespectful and signed respectfully. <laughs> My favorite part was when this, this person wrote out i think it was like adjustments or something and then in parentheses wrote out the definition of adjustments as if the receiver of the email didn't know what adjustments meant (laughs) and also uh the the email was mainly about montana fouts who the writer called number 14 as if he didn't know who she was Mm. it's montana fouts right and then yeah there was so much tom do you have anything to add about that just don't email the coaches right i'm just i'm just gonna say that patrick murphy is a National championship winning coach. Patrick Murphy is a Hall of Famer. He is a, not only in the state, but for softball period, he is a Hall of Famer. You do not have a revelation that he doesn't know about. 
You, you don't, you, there is not something you can tell him that he's, oh yeah, I should probably what? do that. That's, wow. What? what? I will. Don't, don't give up a home run. I'm shocked. I find your ideas intriguing and I wish to subscribe to your newsletter. That's not going to be said by Patrick Murphy. I think he knows what he's doing. Everybody on the staff, uh, the three paid coaches on this staff has won a national championship as a coach. The volunteer coach won a national championship as a player. Yes. The director of ops won right. a national championship as a player. They got it. They got this. So, so just, just be supportive. You don't need to call or email with your tips. I think they got it under control. It was so funny. Oh, God. Which, I mean, pages yeah. of stuff. Like this, this guy really thought it all out. And like, like, I'm a guy and I felt mansplained too yeah. when I was reading this. I, I got mad about the definition of the word. I was like, really? <laughs> like, I know how to spell that in first grade. You think? You think? Come on. Yeah, Steph, oh. Allie, Murph, they all know it. I mean, come on. Have you ever Ryan. thought about not giving up home runs? Yeah, I'm sure that was probably <laughs> thought of. There was a At line in the email. What was it? It was like, uh, uh, this one mistake allowing the solo home run was overshadowed by a great performance. Okay, wait, so hold on. With Montana pitching, you assumed home runs would be given up and it was overshadowed by the great performance? That shows what your expectation is coming in. I have never expected Montana to do poorly no. since her career began. No sense. Just don't be stupid. Just, I mean, come on. Do you have anything else to add for off the wall? <laughs> uh, also, don't say that Patrick Murphy has said something that he didn't say. Yes. That, that is also uh, something that's being put out there. So there, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of things, but overall that is, uh, I, I am, uh, I was happy that the off the walls that we're not talking about people coming after players right? or, you know, because even, you know, we had questions, but you know, even Kaylee Tao struggling, I don't think everybody's, nobody like lost their mind over that. Yeah. Overall, that part was good streaming not gonna have to worry about that being at home this week so hopefully next i hope week. yeah knock on wood knock on wood i would right. like to be on the air so there's that oh and one preemptive off the wall don't uh don't talk about the offense being overrated if they only scored like two runs on keely rochard because right. she's really good because by the way yeah we may be playing a first team all-american pitcher yeah she was last year she was at the team usa tryouts like yeah. I, I, it will be Trust me, if Alabama scores four runs on Rochard, I will be very pleased. Yeah. Like, very pleased. Yes. In my non-biased TV <laughs> voice. Sure. Okay, Tom, we got that out of the way. Let's talk about food. Yes. Tom's Hungry is back for the first time officially here in 2022. We ate in Tucson. This is your segment, partner. Thank you very much. Take it. Yes. Uh, had, a, had a good weekend food-wise in Tucson. Uh, one shout-out for... Uh, Tom's thirsty for Nate's thirsty mm. uh, went to uh, seven seventeen oh two I think was the name of it. it. It was it was a play. It was very hot. It was very it hot. Was stifling when we got inside it. Uh, but had a uh, it was a blueberry lemonade lemon ghost gauss. I'm not, I'm not sure how you pronounce. I don't it. know. But yeah, I was just watching softball. <laughs> right, but that that was quite delicious. Food wise, uh, we had a play, a Mexican place called Sace, which I thought you had the tacos. Uh, street tacos, which were very good. But then the, probably the, the two highlights uh, were, they're not chains that are specific to Tucson, but they're chains we don't have here. So I was happy to eat there. You know, In-N-Out, had to go get an In-N-Out burger. Of course. And it was delicious as always. And then uh, BJ's, as you mentioned before, Bazookis. And then I, my burger was, it had burger, it had the burger, cheeseburger with pulled pork and barbecue sauce on it Ooh. and bacon it's brought to you by good bull yes oh it's it very similar to that so I, I was very pleased with that again i got the three mini pazookis 
probably next time I'll get the two and then give my third to somebody else. Because the third one may, may have put it a little bit over the top. I'll give you the, the puppy dog eyes and yeah. wait for that third one, Tom. <laughs> Tom. Tom was almost too hungry and ate too much of the bazookis. But uh, other than that, it was, so it was a good weekend, but very excited for our next edition of Tom's Hungry coming from Louisiana. Oh my gosh. Uh, my Sace order was like a chicken taco. The tacos fell apart. You got it. Mexican restaurants. You got to double up the corn tortillas. The corn. Yeah, one it's will been, collapse. Right. Corn, corn comes, comes apart. Yes. Yeah more than flour it was good but i had to switch to a fork and i was which was actually better for me because i was operating the gopro so i wouldn't get right. my hands all messy but still <laughs> i wanted the taco and I didn't right get it. The, the one drawback from states with the tacos was like all their taco sauce or the sauce that came with was extremely spicy mm. so and I, you're not a spice guy no so i i needed like a mild sauce to, to go on the tacos but other than that it was, it was very good bj's love my chicken sandwich the monkey bread bazooki oh my gosh it's so good <laughs> sauce that's where we had the pasta from the first night uh, mm-hmm. was, oh yeah that was, was solid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i i think my best meal was at 7 1702 with the cheese pizza that was a that i got giant, late night yeah giant cheese pizza slice. giant slice is what it says on the menu it they weren't kidding it's like twice the size of a sabaro pizza slice maybe maybe two and a half times honestly yeah, right. it was huge they gave me a little tiny pizza cutter like the size of this like half this water bottle <laughs> and it took it was the longest i've ever taken eating a slice of pizza yeah, in my life it right. took me like 30 minutes because you're eating like half a pizza <laughs> yeah is, is why it took you that long but it did taste good i gave you some you yeah, liked it i did yeah and had i not just eaten all the pasta beforehand i would have probably gotten it sliced myself but tom was wasn't hungry enough <laughs> yes. for that evening unfortunately i mean we did kind of have a car but not really so we yeah. couldn't strike out on our own we ate with the team more yeah it's fine right but when we go to lafayette and baton rouge and all these other places i will hopefully we'll have, have my car right. so we'll be good to go yeah then we, we will hit all the places yes because i i because it's impossible to go somewhere in louisiana and it not be good so, so I'm very much looking forward. To yes, that. the list will be long. <laughs> no cheat days for us no. in terms of missing a meal. We will have them all. Mm-hmm. That's Tom's Hungry. That's the podcast. There it is. Wow. Thank you for uh, enduring this like much shorter episode. <laughs> it is much, yes. <laughs> we're, we're about to wrap up. It's not even eight o'clock recording time. Not this bad. is crazy. Yes. Insanity. We've got gear. I will have stickers for this weekend. I've got some stickers left over, out-of-the-box podcast stickers. Come by the TV booth or the radio booth. I'll give Tom some. They're already in my backpack, so don't worry. They will not be Good. forgotten. All right. Just just come by, and, and we'll toss it. you a sticker. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> I can show you right now. <laughs> They're in the backpack. You'll probably leave the backpack here. <laughs> now, that's, that's a possibility, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> it's happened before. <laughs> Luckily, though, you're not coming from Birmingham anymore. So That's true. Worst case scenario, you can run back here. I've forgotten a board once. I've forgotten a backpack once last year. Board mm. for volleyball, backpack, one of my backpacks. I forgot my Sharpie backpack Ooh. for softball last year which was not ideal all right but that's how you can get stickers this weekend tom of course that people can tune in they can watch there we are covering all the platforms but for radio purposes tom how do people listen to our new station yes you can listen in at 97.5 fm in tuscaloosa over the air nick97.5.com is the website so you can listen live there there's also a link to uh, to that website on the alabama uh, schedule uh, on rolltide.com there'll be links as well on the social media posts before every game uh, where you can listen live 
uh, to all five games of the Bama Bash on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Yeah, and if you want to watch, all the links are on the same page as radio, pretty much. See ESPN app, use your cable provider. It'll be myself, my new analyst, Kate Brooks, 2019 ACC Player of the Year, first team All-American from Notre Dame. Wow. And nice. Kira Goldstein, our sideline reporter, who, I mean, it's the first time we've had a sideline reporter, so I'm excited. Yeah, wow. Again, the, the coverage of softball continues to grow by leaps and bounds. I mean, we've got Zooms tomorrow with our boy Pete DeMore and just so much, so much happening. <laughs> it's all happening right here. And we will tweet out all these things, Tom, from our Twitters. Where can the people find you? I mean, T Canterbury, RTR on Twitter, C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y. Post all that stuff and a couple of retweets you'll probably enjoy right now if you're if you get over there. <laughs> now I need to go look at your Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Of course, follow the podcast at out of the box underscore pod. Week two, Tom, Clearwater, stuff in Tucson, Oklahoma and Houston are playing. Alabama's got Virginia Tech. We're like full go. There's no messing around. It's time. Right. I mean, nearly a lot of these teams playing four or five, six games a weekend, like 10% of their season comes in like in these weekends. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm. Thank you to Jen Schroeder for joining us and breaking it all down. Wow. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Out of the Box podcast. We love the support. We mentioned the listener numbers. We're grateful. I don't know why y'all are all listening to us, but thank yeah, you for thanks. doing it. Yes. Fans <laughs> of softball, necessarily fans of us. We hope you will stick around <laughs> for all season. I drew up like a mock of the podcast schedule, Tom. There are some weekends where things might get wonky. Might have like a Thursday episode because there's a three-week stretch where we are not free at all. <laughs> right. So who knows? A lot of stuff's happening. We'll try, we'll try to keep it. We'll try to keep it as regimented as possible but you know like valentine's day and other things come up sometimes yeah some of us have wives (laughs) i was just sitting here writing the outline oh home alone eating pizza (laughs) which actually was pretty good for my partner tom canterbury i'm gray robertson we'll see you this weekend at Rhodes. if you're coming be loud if you can't come but you have tickets give them to somebody else if you don't have tickets but you want to come look for the people giving out tickets Talk to Emily Pitek. She's running the black market. Right, yes. <laughs> In a shocking development, Emily Pitek will be on that. Exactly. Enjoy all the softball. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast.